tonics had a great India connection, right? That we could talk about. Uh, also, we're looking at building a global brand. We're already available in Hong Kong. We should be launching in Singapore pretty soon. So the Indian connection with the Indian tonic water bit kind of played out well for us. So the idea was that we start with tonics. There will be a little more education required, but at the same time, it's a it's a good differentiator product to start with. If I started with a soda, I would have had to explain or defend my difference a lot more. Now that I have some sort of brand recognition, it's easier for me to put out a soda. Uh, when it comes to education, we've done both. We've done a lot of B2B education. So like alcohol companies, we have brand ambassadors. Their job is to just keep training bartenders and bar staff. Uh, every account of ours that serves Swami has gone through a training by us. Uh, that's the first time in their life they would have gone through a tonic water tasting where most of them don't even know what tonic water actually is or how is it made, what is quinine. So we've done a lot of that and it's played out a lot. Uh, it's also given us a lot of uh, dividends because we have very good relationships with a lot of restaurants and hotels because of that. Hi everyone, you're listening to episode 11 of Stars and Startups with me, Varun Bumidi. On this episode, we catch up with the eclectic and award-winning photographer Anish Paseen of Swami Drinks, a brand of beverages that has been part of the latest wave of Indian consumer brands that's catering to a premium audience and offering a variety in a segment that has actually lacked some innovation. Anish and I chat about coffee, his experience building his earlier startup, Hipcask, and then taking that experience to building Swami that's now got quite the fan following. If you want to get into all things Swami and building the brand, you can jump directly to minute 30 or after wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, stay tuned till the end. There's a giveaway. Don't miss it. Hey Anish, it's been it's been uh, some time, and uh, of course, the you know I read somewhere um, you know Anish is a multi award winning lifestyle photographer. And yeah, that's. That's my life. <laughs> uh, you know, a matter of uh, many interests and tastes. So this this particular uh, time, and we're recording this during lockdown, um, it's probably very restrictive for you. Because, you know, I, I mean, your Insta is only about travel, about the fun things you're doing, the parties you're up to, right? Um, right now, Insta must be like about throwbacks and things that you want to be doing? Uh, surprisingly not. I think a lot of my Instagram has been stuff that I've been making right now. And uh, firstly, I think all of us are very privileged, right? We have nothing to really complain about right now. Like most of our complaints are Wi-Fi is slow or alcohol is not available, stuff like that. Uh, I think for me, lockdown, of course, now that we, we're all used to this and life's a little more calibrated, with the lockdown, I think a lot of my uh, content of what I've been up to has been actually about making more drinks at home. Uh, I was a little surprised that the collection I had that I somewhere also forgot about, like it's coming out from the from the attic and they're all coming out, uh, making like, their appearances. Like one of my distiller friends, uh, Michael, who was the master distiller at Paul John, he posted about this Japanese whiskey, and I was like, wait. Didn't I once buy this? And then I found it. It was there somewhere, which I'd completely forgotten about. So I think lockdown's been good in terms of, uh, for, for me personally, I think I've, I've, 
I've started learning a little bit more than somewhere I left off. So uh, I've been doing a lot of tastings. I've been tasting a lot of coffee actually, but very methodically. I've been taking down notes. I've been going brewing uh, very properly. So uh, I think it's it's been good that way. Uh, you try and learn as much as you can during this phase. And uh, for me, beverages is a lot is a large part of what I like to learn about. When when you say uh, you've been doing a lot of things like making and, and what's your latest indulgence? What's uh, you know what's got you moving? So, so, so two things. One is ice. I've been making a lot of ice. Uh, I put out a whole video on how you should just not use ice trays and make better ice at home. Super easy. You don't have to invest in any money. Like uh, zero expense thing you can get into. If you like cocktails. Yeah. I actually tried one of those. Uh, I followed your video. I, I did your uh, little ice. You know, I, I realized like I think you asked to break it into pieces. Yeah. Man, that was really hard because it seems like the ice is getting a lot harder because you know it's a lot more dense. So yeah. I, I couldn't make it happen. So I need to figure out a better. But if you and just do, do uh, don't 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 make the ice too thick. Just make a use a thinner uh, like height. Keep the height a little shallow. Lower. Yeah, yeah. That, that's so what my my wife recommended uh, as well. Yeah. Because you know, I'm like, oh, I need a big piece of ice. So I was going at like you know making big one. Three in the morning, taking out the knives and hammers and doing all of that. So uh, that was good. And the other interest that really has come back to me uh, was coffee. And uh, me and Saad, who's one of my co-founders at Swami, we, we've been into coffee for a very long time. But I think, uh, and this one, this is one advice to anyone I would have during lockdown. It's a very good time to learn about coffee and get into coffee. Again, super affordable. It's not a thing that you have to spend too much money on. The only piece of equipment you really need to buy is a 500 rupee original Hario pour over available on Amazon. That's about it. But there are so many roasters right now uh, and it's crazy. And even drinking coffee is super affordable, right? A, a 300 rupee pack is going to last you like some 15, 20 uh, cups of coffee at least. For sure. So I think. It's, it's a great time to get into coffee. And I think for me personally in life, coffee has really made a lot of other things possible. Like I think coffee is where a lot of my palate got developed, which took me to better whiskey, took me to wine, took me to ultimately hip cask and swami. So I think coffee is, yeah, coffee is it. And it's amazing. Of It's amazing how affordable it is. And the, the amount of like back in the day, we only had blue Tokai and I love blue Tokai and I've been a, a customer of blue Tokai and I've known Matt since the very beginnings so it's amazing to see them grow but along with them there are so many roasters right now uh, so any any uh, gems that you found yeah so I'm, I'm actually putting out a video about this soon a lot of these coffees are in uh, transit sorry let me shut this uh, is this the so, one um, I, I saw I saw an insta uh, sponsored post about somebody aging coffee in a, a barrel a cask Oh, uh, so Koinonia, Koinonia in Bombay and Dope uh, both do a barrel-aged coffee. Uh, then there's a new roastery in Bombay called Subco. Their stuff is really good. But I discovered a few more people and all of those beans are in transit. Uh, so, so there's one coffee plantation uh, type called Geisha, which is usually very sought after. And there's one estate in India doing a Geisha. So there's a roaster from Chennai who supplies that. I've ordered that. They're is Geisha the type of coffee? Is that, yeah. or it's is that the plantation? It's a plantation. Okay. 
the the plant is called Geisha. So there's Beechwood Roasters from Chennai who's doing Geisha that's in transit. And there's a roaster from Delhi called Saver Works. They do a different fermentation called anaerobic fermentation. So hmm. it's crazy. Like usually to get this sort of variety, you would be at a really cool coffee shop in a San Francisco or somewhere else. Yeah. And it's amazing of how affordable these things in India are. The same quality or the same coffee in the, in America, you'll be buying it for double triple the price. It, uh, I've also seen a lot of uh, coffees being fermented differently. Like I think that's yeah. a that's a newish trend um, yeah. because it you know you typically have just three or four types of, of fermentation that happen. I, I think a lot of people listening to this probably even didn't know that coffee is fermented before it is roasted. And yeah, please, please don't drink instant coffee. And uh, a lot brew, of people get surprised. Brew for the win. Yeah, uh, the coffee that we get is actually not. It's literally the seed. It's the pit, right, of the of the cherry. So, um, and India produces a lot of good coffee. It's just that for the longest time, more of, most of it was exported, and now some of it is available to us. But yeah, it is such an affordable cool hobby to get into which does change your palate in a, it, for, for the better i i also found another um, roaster who is offering uh, conscious coffee um, so they they work with certain farms that are not as large as some of the other plantations but they grow it in certain okay. uh, areas um, it, it's called um, yeah, I, i'll have to find the name but it's called uh, Baza, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, Baza does that. Uh, Baza, so I'm still not bought Baza. That's on my list. Uh, there's a brand called Araku. They also work yep. with a lot of, like they worked on those sort of initiatives. So the gentleman from Araku, uh, <laughs> there was this gentleman who got. So I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, prior to working at Citrus, I had a coffee marketplace. Um, I'm not sure if I ever shared that with you. So the gentleman was in touch with me at that time, and. Uh, he sent me literally uh, shit with coffee beans, like uh, so. It's a civet cat uh, droppings. Oh. So I still have those boxes. <laughs> like I mean, so I had, I think I met Matt at some point. I'm like Matt, I have these. Uh, yeah. You know, he's like, dude, don't, don't bring that anywhere close to me. I'm not putting that in my roaster. <laughs> I'm with Matt on this. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it's made popular by you know Kopi Duwak, um, yeah, Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's right. That's right. I mean, it's limited but, edition, but it's cool. But same with Geisha. Geisha happened because of one of these crazy auctions in Panama, and uh, Geisha prices are off the charts from a few estates. But overall, I think Geisha at least lives up to the hype. Like when you taste the Geisha, like okay. There's some there's something about this. No, this is a great time to be um, you know trying new coffees and and learning uh, as well. You know, ultimately now there's just so much more choice and you yeah. have, but it also poses a problem because you don't know what to pick, especially if you are new to coffee. Yeah. You probably have a more developed palate. You know what you want, maybe what you don't want, how to brew it. You have a machine, equipment, yeah. all of that, and, and you know you've already crossed that barrier. Um, yeah. And I was uh, reading about how even wines became popular uh, in the U.S. Right, because it is always considered to be a premium product. Yeah. Um, you know, because you have beer at 
you know, $3, $4, and then it had wine at $20, $25. So they always had to pick, uh, you know, like wine was a premium. So one of the things that they did at that time was uh, they started giving, like none of those, you know, notes and all of that where people typically wouldn't understand, but started talking about it more simplistically and, you know, finding uh, more palatable wines. Like you just said, like it's, you know, it's a gateway drug. Uh, so yeah. can you find things that you know get you to open up saying okay you know this is a good wine I think I what uh, you know just a point to that there's I personally believe uh, Bira uh, White did that for the beer market three years ago absolutely right? agree yeah yeah and I think that's a great example of a beer that kind of went mainstream uh, which is actually restricted to because very few people even ordered a Hogarden right Hogan would have never had like I don't think Hogan was the first imported bear that actually made people think of a bear in a different way because whatever said um, Corona again, same alien bear brand, but Corona is still a lager, right? I think Hogan brought that and Bira just made it affordable and approachable. And the good thing about Bira was they never harped on tasting notes or anything, right? And I do think a lot of times when you do that, you automatically in, intimidate so many people. Like if I talk about coffee and talk about the top notes and the finish and the like, come on, man. Like, I think somewhere we have to be past that. Where did all this start, Adish? Uh, you know, you, you, you obviously went on uh, to do Hipcast, which came from passion. But yeah. you, you've been doing, uh, you know, you've been a professional for many years. How did all these develop? So all of this somewhere I think started back in the day when I used to be a photographer. I was shooting for a book on the alcohol industry. And because of that, I had to travel to a bunch of the wineries, uh, meet a few people in the trade. And they would oblige you with, like, like if you've gone all the way to a Sula or someone, they'll oblige you with a tasting, right? And this is back in the day when Sula did not have a visitor center and stuff like that. So... It was a lot to do with that and I clearly remember there was there was this uh, organization called Wine Society of India. Uh, they used to run a subscription model. Oh, right, right, right. right. You, could, you could pay uh, monthly or you can get a box. Yeah. yeah, you get a box every month or every three months or something. So I'd gone to shoot them and uh, uh, the gentleman was like after the shoot, they had an internal session on tasting wines that had gone bad. And just to analyze faults in wines. And he's like, you know, we're tasting bad wine. Do you want to join this? And I was like, wait, why are people sitting and tasting bad wine? And at that time, I don't think I would have even known the difference about good or bad wine as such, right? So I sat in on that session. And I think a bunch of those kind of things, tastings with people who knew what they were talking about, that really got me into it as a hobby. And then I would go to all of their uh, tasting sessions. I remember... Uh, they'd move uh, their office to Andheri East and we would battle rains and everything and it would be three of us there for a wine tasting session and it was good. I think uh, just tasting with people who were trying to learn and along with people who knew what they were talking about is what really got me into uh, just tasting everything better. And somewhere coffee came along with that. I still remember the first time I bought a pack of uh, Cafe Coffee Day Beans and uh, I just put them in water and stirred them thinking it'll 
dissolved, right? Like instant coffee. So uh, I think that's a common that that you know I think it happens more often than we think. And cafe coffee day was the only place that was selling beans that time. They had a couple of their two three options in that tin in the in, in, in the rectangular tin. Yes, Mysore Royale. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mysore Royale and what more? There's some forest or something. And yeah, dark forest. Yeah. Correct. Dark forest. Dark forest. It, it was in the tin. It looked nice. You could give it as a gift. Yeah. So I still remember taking a spoon of that, adding it to water, and saying, "What is happening here?" So <laughs> I think just a lot of that and and. This is a common story I've heard from a lot of people who I talk to who are now into coffee, like who remember the old days of this. Uh, and I think uh, around that time, no, actually before that, and I have a very, very distinct memory of having a good coffee for the first time in my life. I was uh, early 20s. I was in, I, I'd just gotten to Venice and outside Venice station was this coffee shop. So I was... My train arrival was at some four in the morning, really obscure hour. I had to wait for transportation in order to open up. So I was killing time. And the coffee shop at the station opened up like five o'clock. Got myself a cappuccino and a fresh croissant. And I was like, man, this coffee tastes good. I think that's the first time I ever said, what is this? And then I had two, three coffees. I was buzzed. So I think a lot of these kind of experiences just made you think that, okay, there was something different vastly different about what I just had and just got me a little more curious about that. And I think the moment you get curious about a particular thing it, and it becomes a hobby, there's, then it's just going down the rabbit hole. Hipka started purely because of that, because of Sheila and me drinking obscene amounts of wine because of Wine Society of India. I still remember our conversation. We'd come back from one of the wine industry, uh, one of the Wine Society events. We were pissed drunk. And uh, iPhones were just like, we all had just got iPhones that time. And Sheila was like, dude, I want to make an app. And I was like, I want to make an app. I'm like, what do we make an app about? And then we're like, yeah, we're wine drinkers and there's no information on wine. And that's where the whole Hipcast idea stemmed from. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, a lot of these kind of things led to led me to where I am. So it, it's interesting you brought up Hipcast uh, in, this, in this conversation. So you have, obviously your palate is kind of expanded um, from the time you put just grounds in, in, in water. Uh, Not only that, uh, or, you know, when that when I was shooting for that book and, and finally that book got, uh, the launch of that book was happening, I was, I was there for the event. And because it was a book on the industry, by the industry, every, every alcohol company had put up their bars, right, at the mm-hmm. dinner. And I remember having like a really expensive single malt and just adding thumbs up to it. And I remember everyone giving me the looks. Like, what are you doing? So <laughs> that's heresy. <laughs> like, how, how do you do that? Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, I've come from that, trying to dissolve beans in water and having really expensive whiskey with thumbs up. <laughs> um, so hip, hip cask was something you started in 2014. Um, yeah. Or prior was was it twenty fourteen? Oh, I think around twenty fourteen. Oh, yeah. Because I remember twenty thirteen when I tried to do an app. Uh, I think there are literally three software developers in the country who could do something. Uh, so Android itself was not popular. Uh, iOS, I'm sure nobody even had uh, iPhones to even think about it. How did? Uh, of course, I mean there was there was 
land grab happening in the US. People are creating apps left, right, and center. People want to do different things. They started offering different things. Uh, but there wasn't enough users on the platform um, for them to be able to see uh, skyrocketing growth. What was your experience? Because alcohol, I would imagine, is everybody loves you know, alcohol. And what was, what was Hipcask actually? So I don't know what we were smoking that time to think of launching a wine app for, for iOS users in India, in Bombay uh, that time, but that's how it all started. Uh, I think that time, so Sheila came from a tech background. I knew zero about tech. And I was like, yeah, cool, how difficult will it be? Let's make an app. So we got an iOS developer. We got someone to do backend. And I was like, cool, amazing. What are the timelines? They said three months. I was like, cool, everything looks good. And you're nine months in and nothing's ready, right? So I think that time the idea was that we launched app first because we thought a lot of the questions people have about wine would be at a restaurant or at a wine shop. So the information ultimately should be accessible on a phone. That was our rationale to go about an app. And that time also apps were not, uh, like websites were not that web optimized. Like half of the things you can perhaps pull off today on a site right or half the apps are web pages inside anyways they're not uh, uh, a lot of them are not really native so that time making an ios app seemed the way for us and i think we were we never even th thought of android that way i think android was really looked down upon especially at that time because there were no really well rounded devices right and that's right there were there android. were tons of issues with android except they were cheap yeah and and developing for for android was so much of a pain right things were not standardized like it was way easier to develop for ios than android you had to test on various devices all of that stuff was a pain so we launched with and uh, with ios i do think that was the right decision uh, going back what then, was course, the app uh, sort of the wine yeah. So the app basically cataloged all wines available in the country and it gave you a tasting notes. It told you what to have it with. You could sort by price. So the whole idea eventually was that was two folds. Ultimately, we should be able to influence a purchase decision. And ultimately, we should be able to fulfill the order. So to take it in today's context and I've been getting messages left, right, and center saying, dude, start Hipcast. Alcohol deliveries are allowed. Firstly, alcohol deliveries are only allowed temporary uh, till we're in this situation. There is no law or, or no uh, order that it's a permanent thing. You think it's a stopgap arrangement? 100%. Everyone's made it very clear that this is a temporary arrangement till things are happening. Uh, and people are posting stuff, right? And like I like how I was explaining to you on my comment that it's you still can't pay online. You're still paying COD or with a card machine at your home. That's right. So uh, our idea was that we, 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 which could also be applicable tomorrow if online deliveries actually start. That I can be the layer who can tell you what to buy and where to buy it from. So if I become that discovery layer on top, fulfillment can be by whoever. It can be by Amazon. It can be by Zomato, Swiggy. That's not my concern because I don't want to get into last mile. The whole idea was that with Hipcast that ultimately we should be the resource people come to when they want to figure out what to buy 
and where to then buy it from. That was predominantly what we wanted to solve for. So was it demystifying wines to a large extent? It was. So it started with wines. Uh, also, I think wines, uh, every five years, 10 years, we've been hearing, you know what, another five years, wines are going to explode in India, nothing's happened. And I do think the wine industry is completely to blame for it. Uh, and I will piss off a lot of people by saying a lot of these kind of things, but the wine industry got all the subsidies possible. Uh, I do think for what Indian wines are, they're too expensive. They should not be at that price. And whatever said and done, Indian wines are not cool. Indian craft beers are cool. I don't think Indian wines are cool. I think Indian beers are cool. I would gladly flaunt a eight-finger ready, which I was having right now. You know, I'll Instagram an hour beer if I'm having it. It's not the same emotion with Indian wines. Indian wines as a perception that I've seen around seem like a compromise on most occasions. Is that the Goa Brewing Company one? They have eight finger ready. Yeah, eight finger ready is Goa Brewing Company. Now, now it's available in Mumbai? It is, yeah. So I think you'll be you'll be happy to take a six pack of an eight finger ready or an arbor to someone's house. Will you take a thousand rupee Indian wine to someone's house? I don't know. A twelve hundred rupee imported wine, you would. So I think the Indian wine. What's what's been what's been the uh, challenge here? I think the quality uh, and the price expectation, right? Indian wines also went through this phase where everyone's like, "Oh, I will launch the most expensive wine in India. I'll launch. I'll up you with that." So now you have fourteen hundred rupee Indian wines. You have you have three thousand rupee Indian wines, which don't make sense. And I remember. Ultimate, I remember when you travel in Europe. Um, you know, you have the the bottommost rack. Yeah. Probably two two euros, uh, one and a half euros. Maybe they are giving these away for three euros. I don't know. But uh, what I've seen is they have very high quality wine. I remember enjoying them. Um, yeah. You know, so I didn't have to even think about it twice. They may not be the most complex wines, right? But they'll be. Easy to drink wines. You're not gonna like a lot of Indian wines, especially reds out of Nasi, just taste bad. And these are wines at 700 rupees, 800 rupees. Uh, so we also thought that wines will become a lot popular. That's how we started with wines. And moving forward over the years, we realized that wine was not going anywhere. And I don't think it's gone anywhere either. Uh, overall, just the perception of Indian wines. And I don't think there's anyone to blame apart from the industry, but two things. One, they never did anything about making Indian wines a cooler brand overall. And the quality is not spoken, like the quality is not been there. Uh, in an overall thing, there are still some good Indian wines. And I do think we do decent whites and uh, sparkling wines, but red, especially out of Nasik, most of them are just bad. And I remember hip, uh, hip cask. There are these cards that you were doing. Yeah. Passports. Uh, so, what is that? Uh, the hip cask passports. The so passport, you know, correct. So, I'll tell you how that came about. There were several times we ran out of money. Several times. Uh, once I sold my iMac that time, we, we, we've, we've gone, we went through a lot of phases where we were completely out of money. So Hipcast was one, uh, Passports was one of those ideas that actually said, dude, what can we do right now to make some money and 
like what can we do right now and that's how like because we were in such a desperate situation and our backs were completely to the wall uh that's how passports came about and the and as we got more and more into it the whole idea was that we can incentivize people buying in bulk so if you're committing to 10 beers you'll get it at a cheaper price so that was a good way to just get people to bulk order essentially it was that was the concept we also uh, uh, started that for coffee in a small scale but i think also that time the number of cafes you could have onboarded for this were very very few Today, remind me uh, when when you did the bulk purchasing of beer i remember you were also driving footfall uh, traffic yeah, to a lot of these restaurants yeah. so did, did they just give away beers that you could you could capitalize so, on so the discount basically came from the breweries and every brand even swami for that matter you have anp or advertising and promotional budget right so every month you do set aside a certain amount of stock that goes into sampling and marketing and stuff like that so for most brands it came from that so their that sort of a uh, allocation that they would have internally and we actually built quite a bit it was super complex because there was a consumer facing app there was a restaurant pass and then there was a analytics dashboard for the brands right so but as a brand you could see which beer of yours is getting consumed where and of course data was completely uh, anonymous but you could get some sort of analytics that okay uh, this is my ratio of men versus women this is the kind of age group we're looking at so the idea was to also start to get data in this industry which is just not been there the only data in the alcohol industry is sales data that's about it where rest are all estimations and guesswork so we thought at least we'll also get some analytics going in this space and there could be a lot of practical uses for that so let's say i i know that i have 100 kegs expiring of my beer in the next 3 weeks you could create a on the spot offer and perhaps push that out and try and liquidate that so there were there were a very large amount of use cases for it but i think we were way ahead of uh, the time there we also thought a lot of that it, could have worked in markets abroad like i think the coffee passport would have worked great same concept you're pre buying 10 coffees you drink them at whichever cafe right and coffee prices are still a lot similar mostly cafe to cafe uh then some beer prices in restaurants are having different price points uh but yeah that and eventually diageo uh, got in, in touch with us for a possible investment so like okay this sounds good by that time we'd also built a bot around it so we actually did a whole demo for the agio with a facebook bot you could ask hey what whiskey can i gift what japanese whiskey can i gift under 5000 rupees and it would throw something at you so uh, you never know maybe if things start to get back online and alcohol maybe somewhere some of that tech can come back you you you're thinking about uh, bring it back out there Uh, I think if uh, there is some tech that there's possible acquisition that can happen of the IP at least, so let's see. But for us, it's very clear we can't restart Hipcast and think last mile and all of that. That's, that's <laughs> so you you shot that that down right away. Uh, it makes no sense when there's Amazon, Zomato, Swiggy. Why will you want to get into last mile? When you look at uh, 
hip cask and what it could do. Uh, was, was there something in the back of your mind talking about gin and you know uh, now the tonic business? How did uh, tonic sound come about? Because I imagine, yeah, uh, I, I would imagine tonic is still quite niche uh, in a country like India. So, so, so I'll come to that. Yeah, uh, because after hip cask, one thing I've learned is I don't want to build a niche product anymore. So uh, you really have to unpack that for me. Yeah, yeah, I am. So till the time Hipcast was there, I think gins were still not in any time. So craft spirits, there was only Amrut and Paul John. Uh, there was really nothing else even on the horizon. So we thought that a lot of Hipcast's uh, community and sales and all will be beer oriented. And if retail opened up, then it would be open to all sorts of things available in retail. Uh, there, there came a point that we had to wind down Hipcast. There's, we couldn't have sustained that anymore. And uh, that's around the time uh, the whole idea of Swami was brewing. So my brother-in-law, uh, he's the one who started uh, all the work on it. And then I joined him and I got talking to Rahul. Rahul's a very close friend of mine. Uh, Rahul started Gateway Brewing Company with two other partners. So they were the first brewery in Maharashtra to supply kegs and not to open a tap room. So everyone that time was opening tap rooms, right? Dulali, everyone else. And Gateway was like, you know, doing a tap room, we supply to other places. So I, ironically, I was drinking uh, beer with Rahul at Dulali and just brainstorming and saying, you know what, Sail and I are thinking on these lines. And he's like, dude, I want to be in on this. So the whole idea was that we'll create a beverage company. We won't create a tonic company. Tonic waters were the, were the beginning. So we now have four or five tonics. We have a ginger ale, sodas also out. We have a lemonade coming out. And then we have a whole range of ready to drink products coming out. And those are all aimed at retail. Uh, so Swami will have two very distinct portfolios. One is more for mixers. So th those are consumed with alcohol. The entire other range is ready to drink. So there we're going to rival everything from a package juice to a Coca-Cola. And I think that for us is a pretty large game to uh, play. So there is no niche uh, play here at all. We're looking at entering tier two cities. We have a massive plan on going into a bunch of those kind of cities this year. You're still targeting a more niche segment or is it premium? So let me, let me not call it niche. Oh, it's premium. It's premium. Uh, I think a great way to define this is we're looking at the bigger audience. We're looking at millennials and people who know that they, they'll spend a little bit more, like how you would, you would spend a little bit more above uh, Kingfisher for a beer. We're looking at the same customer that you'll spend a little bit more above a Coke or a Schweppes or something to get our product. So for example, we have something in the cola segment coming out, but those kind of products have not, they've not seen much uh, in India. So we're looking at a, pretty exciting range of ready to drink products. So one segment is our audience that we're targeting is going to be people who don't drink alcohol at all. Because if you don't drink alcohol, what are your options? If you're socializing or in the evening or a Sunday afternoon, right? Again, package juice or a, or a Coke, Fanta, Limca types, right? That's pretty much it. So we think there's a lot of scope in that sort of a category. And people like me who drink alcohol, but sometimes, again, if I don't want to drink alcohol right now, what do I drink? 
there's nothing exciting really, right? So we, we want to have enough options in that category. Historically, this segment, be it tonic water, be it any uh, pairings to um, you know mixers, which you started with, has been played by the bees, right? Uh, you know, Schweppes. Uh, I think Schweppes yeah. is part of Coke, is it? Uh, yeah, Schweppes is Coke. Schweppes Coke. There's a bunch of players, including Pepsi. They're the ones who pretty much rule this segment. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we all know that they're going after mass market. They don't want to change anything for a niche market. Their advantage comes in at scale. Um, how did you guys think about that? Because what's your common thread with all these products? There has to be, of course, a premium, better ingredients, I'm, I'm guessing. So I, we do think a lot of people want to premiumize. Again, I'm, I don't want to be double the price or triple the price. We very consciously want to be at a 15, 20% higher price point. Uh, and two years down the line, if we think we still need a more competitive price product, we'll also look at that. So we, we, some things we already have figured out, some things we'll see how the response is and whether we need to make some tweaks. Uh, but yeah, the whole, the whole idea is that what is the step above? Right now, there's nothing. Like I'm a Diet Coke drinker, not from a calorie point of view, but just a taste point of view. But for me, there's nothing else I can just pick out of the fridge and drink. What else can I have? And I think there's a pretty large audience that can spend 15 rupees more uh, if they have another option. Plus, these kind of products I would want at an airport, which would be at a cinema hall. There are now we don't know when all of that will start, but those are also scenarios we looked at, right? Uh, what do I get at a cinema hall again? It's just four or five beverages in the Red Bull, right? That's about it. When you look at this audience and, and their demands, um, I would imagine there is a lot of education that also goes along with it because it you know becomes that uh, tonic. Everybody, I, from when I remember when you launched, I, you know I was super excited because um, I tried some of these beverages abroad, and you know I, and I learned the history of uh, quinine and, and the utilization, yeah. etc. It's a great starter in a way because it has a story and it has a very Indian uh, kind of story. Um, does that education, did that education take some time? Because, you know, I would imagine since 20, uh, you so, know, 16, 17. So for, so for tonic that, that was required. Also, we started with tonics for a particular reason. Gins were just becoming a thing. Like the gin wave was just hitting India. Uh, it's, it, I really find it funny that people collect gin as much as it works for me. So great, please collect gins. I find it a little funny beyond a point. But uh, I think tonics had a great India connection, right, that we could talk about. Uh, also, we're looking at building a global brand. We're already available in Hong Kong. We should be launching in Singapore pretty soon. So the Indian connection with the Indian tonic water bit kind of played out well for us. So the idea was that we start with tonics. There will be a little more education required but at the same time it's a it's a good differentiator product to start with if i started with a soda i would have had to explain or defend my difference a lot more now that i have some sort of brand recognition it's easier for me to put out a soda uh, when it comes to education we've done both we've done a lot of b2b education so like alcohol companies we have brand ambassadors their job is to just keep training bartenders and bar stuff uh, 
every account of ours that serves Swami has gone through a training by us. Uh, that's the first time in their life they would have gone through a tonic water tasting where most of them don't even know what tonic water actually is or how is it made, what is quinine. So we've done a lot of that and it's played out a lot. Uh, it's also given us a lot of uh, dividends because we have very good relationships with a lot of restaurants and hotels because of that. So uh, that was required. A lot of the products going forward, we don't see that happen, especially in the RTD uh, line. Uh, we know that some products out of that are super self-explanatory and super mass. Uh, actually, I can go ahead and say it. One of them is a pink color product. So we know that certain things can be super mass. At the same time, that portfolio also has one product that I know is going to be super niche. But that product is going to be a cool product that we know certain people will talk about. But my revenue driving products are going to be a lot more massier. So we are we're diversifying the portfolio in that way. Any reason you took the bar route, like the pairings, the mixers, etc.? Yeah, because uh, for a product like ours, and to give you uh, uh, Bera's example, Bera was the brand was built at restaurants. It wasn't built in retail. Uh, most likely, the first time you would have had Bera would have been at a bar. So I think a lot of discovery for products like ours happen at restaurants. Uh, Touchwood, in most places that you would go to uh, a, a good bar, uh, you would see Swami on someone's table or the other. So I think that again and again, you know, just seeing that, seeing it on the menu, seeing some promotion happen with it, I think that 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 drives a certain amount of confidence uh, in the product. And then when you see the same product at the Nature's Basket, you're more, more likely to buy it than seeing a completely new product out of nowhere. Is that the best way to scale though? Because I would imagine even bars, like it's, it's account by account, uh, you know, there are a few bars that probably have uh, chains, but I, I don't know too many large chains. No. So again, for tonics and soda, another example, they're very, uh, they're good products for B2B. Uh, for example, the RTD line, I don't see that as a restaurant product. So these products do really well at restaurants. And uh, we already, I think six months back itself, our restaurant touch points became more than our restaurant touch points. So overall, of course, we are a FMCG company and more revenues will come from uh, retail. At the same time, I think being at a lot of restaurants makes a difference. You're, you, I do think still a lot of people try us for the first time at a restaurant and then go and buy us in retail. That's super exciting because I've never heard this story before. Did you and, and your co-founders, did you guys have this vision to start with? You're like, okay, let's start here and then we'll get it here. Or was the start like saying, hey, we're just going to go after tonic water uh, and then we'll the see start, what's up. I think the start was that let's first put the product out. Let's see what the response to that is. And then we will take the next steps. So when we launched the tonics, it was literally five of us uh, working, doing everything. And when we saw that, okay, you know what? People are excited about this and people do want it. That's when we went and raised a little angel round, redid our packaging properly, did a custom bottle, hired proper teams. That's when we actually had a proper business plan going ahead. But the whole idea first was let's dip our toes and see uh, how the reaction and what the market looks like. 
I have to give it to you. I, I love the bottle. It's it's Thank unique. Uh, it's really well done. I, I I've always known you to have an eye for design and and you know given. Yes. So when we started, we we of course could not afford to have a custom bottle. That's another pain in the ass to do right from design to final production. Uh, and one thing that's really uh, like coming from a space where I would write about alcohol or critique alcohol in a way. I think I have mad respect for even red wines from Nasik. I still do have respect for them because putting out a product on a shelf is a lot of work. Uh, the amount of stuff that goes behind it is absolutely crazy. So it's uh, creating the new bottle was amazing amounts of fun, a little stressful also, super expensive. But yeah, that plays out because our original bottle that was off the shelf bottle, uh, when we took it abroad just to get some feedback, everyone unanimously, 99%, to our face, they were like, dude, your packaging is shit. Like they would just say it to us. They're like, we love the liquid, but packaging is shit. This cannot work. And now that we take our bottles abroad and we get compliments, it's such a good feeling to have a completely opposite reaction to what we've seen earlier. Baby steps, right? Uh, you've yeah. got to live through that. When your bartenders were being shown this product, uh, they've never used it before. Uh, they're probably still opening the cans of Schweppes and kind of, you know, uh, chugging and saying, oh, this is the best stuff ever, right? But it has zero quinine, right? Uh, or maybe maybe a trace amount of quinine saying, oh, that is quinine in it. Um, how did they react to it? What was so when, what is the pushback? Did they, was there any pushback? There was pushback on certain things. So when we launched, uh, we only launched with low in sugar tonic. So our sugar was half the amount of Schweppes. Now that worked well for some markets, but for example, Delhi, there was a big pushback because they're like, yeah, they're like, we don't like this. This doesn't taste good to us. It's bitter. And and yeah, and nothing. I can't take offense to that because your benchmark has only been Schweppes. Right, so we launched what we call the original tonic water that is slightly sweeter, still not as sweet as Schweppes, but around the same ballpark. And we increased our carbonation, and that has helped us a lot with a lot more markets. And fair enough, like this is not a moral argument that this is how something should be had. Ultimately, it's your money. Uh, you buy what you prefer. And we, we, we created a product for that. And there are use cases for it. A lot of times I also use the product because if it is a heavier gin or I just want to add less tonic, I don't want to add the full tonic, there, there is use for it. And that's what we did. The way you launched uh, Swami also is quite novel. You use a lot of content. You use a lot of properties. You've built actually some IP around the brand as well. Can you take our audience through some of that? Uh... So one thing we've done is that we've done a lot of events because I think for us sampling, and this will become even bigger with the ready to drink product range, sampling is super important. Uh, that's also great learning from Red Bull. Red Bull has killed it with sampling. Uh, so amazingly well done, right? Simple stuff. You have people with Red Bull backpacks handing out Red Bull. As simple as that. Do you have Swami girls handing out Swami? No, no, we are, we, we, we are gender neutral. We can have Swami boys also. But uh, at, some, at some stage, hopefully, yes. But I think sampling is super important. So we've done a lot of 
events around making sure that happens and a lot of times we so usually in the space a liquor brand dominates an event so if it's and this happened recently it was well it was a milestone uh, for levis it was the 175th year of the blue denim or something like that so for the for the big levis party it was a swami bar usually it would have been an alcohol driven bar right so swami did the bar and we like we will pick what alcohol we want to serve and the bar was amazing fantastic response no problem there so i think we are coming from a from a point of view that the tonics and all which are still in the mixer category a mixer brand can can do the bar we are not a second fiddle to a spirit we can also do it because we also are in the position that we understand and a lot of these learnings come from past experience right that we know what will work with what because we've at least i've done content for a decent amount of time now so that has helped us quite a bit and we do a lot of uh, during lockdown we did uh, a superlative cocktail week uh, so that came about as an idea that we know that restaurants are suffering right now what can we do somebody to help out restaurants in whatever little way we can so the idea was that let's create a let's create a ip of whatever we want to call it but ultimately restaurant should be getting a cash payout at the same time it shouldn't look like charity like that's not the sentiment here i'm not doing anyone a favor uh, and no one should feel sheepish about it or anything like that so we came up with what we call what we call the superlative cocktail league competition format completely lockdown quarantine friendly uh, instead of making drinks you were basically designing the drinks so essentially you're not physically making the drink but you're telling us the inspiration behind it what the what the ingredients are why are these ingredients and stuff like that uh, and that went went off really well and not only did we give away uh, eight and a half lakhs of cash awards uh, the winner also gets to do a limited edition ginger ale with swami so a lot of the participants also went through to see how we make products it actually put them in our uh, in our shoes and we told them everything you guys will have to think about why will someone buy this product what will be the name because your name will impact right am i a product that's being a mixer am i being a ready to drink so they had to they and most of them designed really proper pitches with marketing plans with how the label should look like so it was a really good 3 4 weeks of very uh, very very creative content uh, from a lot of uh, participating bars and the cool thing for us was we worked alongside bigger liquor companies that we anyways do so moe tennessee uh, brands uh, ho garden beefeater uh, all of them supported the league and made the prizes possible so i think an ip like this again we've helped out the industry in a very very genuine way and we've also strengthened our relationships with them and we were very clear with this league also that there's not about a swami exclusive push or anything so even if you were a schweps exclusive contract restaurant you could take part we put this very big explicitly even in our rules saying that if you have a schweps contract no problem please take part so that's what we did during lockdown and it worked well what's a schweps contract so do they block out others from supplying yeah holy that's that's incredible and, 
and technically i think there's there's anti competition law for that but of course that doesn't work uh, really here uh, but yeah so basically what coke and uh, o does this a lot uh, narang beverages they have a brand called qua their water brand and then o ocean their range of products uh, not only that they'll pay you cash so they they'll be like okay we will spend x lakhs on you for sponsoring a dj doing this doing that and you have to keep our products exclusive exclusively so that happens a lot narang uh, are the same guys who uh, are the franchise like license owners for red bull they used to be no longer yeah but they got down red bull to india they i think they're pretty large distributors of yeah. of stuff yeah, uh, they they got down red bull initially when you go through this process and you're hearing uh, you have you know years to the ground uh, trying to develop all these different products right uh, for this segment uh, which you're calling the premium category how you go about product development is, is it like saying okay let's take things that people already understand and and like and let's make them better so i think uh, so firstly we're the only company we're the only premium beverage whatever that term would be company in asia that does everything in house so we don't contract manufacture we set up the facility ourselves and we've done all the product development in house uh, we've made a lot of mistakes i think the first home batch i was trying of tonics i made some error and i put 800 times the quinine that i should have put like i don't think silen i could taste anything for two days uh, after we try that out so, so so mosquitoes will not actually get close to you for the I, next 100 years I, it was great uh, like like two days there was no we we couldn't taste anything it was just bitter uh, and bitter taste in the mouth so the way we are going about both the portfolios now mixers and rtd is that we need to hedge out the portfolio a little bit we need to make sure we have products that will be volume drivers for example a soda will be a volume driver in the rtd range we know at least two out of the four products are super volume drivers but we know for a fact that one of them is going to be niche but that products going to be what people will talk about in you know, cooler uh, things and that's a product that we want to enter in competitions abroad and stuff like that i i personally love the product and nothing like but we know that the audience is going to be lesser because for that product unless you get it like if you get it you get it or otherwise you and it's going to be super polarizing you'll either be you'll either be saying like an ipa you'll either love it or hate it it's going to be on those lines but there have to be enough products where you where your education is a lot lesser and people can read and immediately figure out what this would be and we're looking at trends right we're trying to see what will work better for someone who doesn't drink what will work better in a amdabad like again moving out of the whole metro this thing because bombay is a bubble bombay works very differently to how most other cities work in the country and we've got to look beyond bombay delhi bangalore those are anyways our key markets right now but what next how do we have deeper penetration are you exploring um when you say you know smaller cities uh, i'm guessing it's just relative because in india cities are quite large so yeah. even if you make uh, a good cola brand you're yeah. probably going to be the third or fourth cola in the market which is great it is still large enough uh, if you do a yeah. good job 
yeah. and you're not playing playing the price game. You're still playing uh, the quality. Yeah. So the, I I was hearing I'm forgetting the gentleman's name. He uh, heads uh, marketing for Unilever based out of Singapore. Uh, he was he said something really interesting. He's like a lot of FMCG brands will start off as differentiator on price, this, that, and the moment they have to scale up, they'll drop prices, they'll change the way they advertise to how a bigger product would have done it. So I think for us, it's super important to still maintain why are we different and maintain that price point. There is no point lowering price points to match Coke if we can't, like I know I can never match a Coke's price because of scale itself, right? The, the raw material cost, the packaging cost, those guys, for them, those costs are so little, right, uh, with the volumes they do. So we know we can't fight them on price. We rather fight them on quality. And that's that's what we are doing. Well, they they have about 95% sugar in any case. So, um, yeah. yeah. When, when you're looking at this audience, uh, you know, obviously the taste palettes are different for men and women in India specifically. It's, it's very diverse. Um, you know, and, and you brought it up saying there's the alcohol drinking population, which takes care of a lot of the, some segment of the men that go to a bar or, you know, uh, and I see um, a lot of these breweries also launch ciders uh, and other similar products to have some sweetness, some uh, new flavors yeah. that, that women can try. Is there a trend in, in the, uh, you know, beverage market as well that that's a little different that women want more? There is, for example, in the UK, the trend in the in, in the gin industry has been pink or fruitier gins. So Hendrix has a pink gin, Bifida has a pink gin, uh, Bombay Saf has something they call the Bramble. So everyone's doing fruitier products. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. If there's an audience for it, why not? We do see that here as well. And uh, we've also planned our uh, portfolios uh, accordingly. Like Diet Coke versus Coke Zero. Uh, from one of the things I was just doing research, right? And it came down to, I don't know how true it is, that Coke Zero for men sounded a lot better than Diet Coke. And like now we are, we, now we are starting to think of a lot of these kind of things, right? Like if I say pink in my name, will men actually pick it up or not? Uh, so a lot of these things now we're thinking at a mass level, which we perhaps earlier didn't do. Would that mean that you would actually place these now in stores or there's going to be a different strategy because you don't, you don't want to pay the placement fees and there's just a whole lot of other nonsense that happens. Yeah, so, so, so it's expensive. A lot of listing fees are expensive, but ultimately I think building an online brand, there's so much noise though, right? I do think seeing a product in retail again and again drives some sort of confidence at some level. I think advertising at retail stores still drives some sort of uh, better visibility because I don't think only online can work in India at least. And there's, I can say anything, right? I can, uh, I can say homegrown, less sugar, handmade, crafted, organic for that matter. Like I've seen people throw any term on any product, even if it's not applicable. So I do think for deeper penetration, you have to get into stores and that's what we are planning. It is more expensive. I think that's where also uh, funding or having some 
that can also help you, right? You can get a little more aggressive with more retail touch points. And I think that's super important. Uh, I do think for a FMCG business, especially like us, physical retail will be super important. I was going to say, uh, because today the flavor season seems to be direct consumer, uh, shipping stuff right to you know your doorstep. I see what you're saying uh, when you're looking at uh, placement in stores. There is a um, there's a touch and feel to it where you know it drives so, a so, so my connection. My whole thing is that it should be extremely easy for someone to get it to their home. So it should be home delivered in whatever way, but it should be everywhere still. So for example, it and our Swiggy stores will be live in most cities now. But if I if I look at if I search for Swami on Swiggy right now, the Swami store shows up, but a lot of the other general stores show up as well. So as long as you're at enough of those stores, it's fine. Whether they are delivering to someone or someone's coming to pick it up, it's fine. Also, there are better margins with us. So it's also a lot of times that the retailer will push us automatically if we are with him. Does that still happen, uh, retail pushing products? Because today I feel like when you walk to a, into a store, uh, you know, back in the day, there should be somebody behind the counter and give you something. We have promoters at stores who will push for our product. Uh, if you pick up the phone and you're ordering, he'll say, Swami, right? So he'll push it because there's more incentive for him. It works. Uh, or so, so you're saying that if you're giving an alternative, saying, hey, why don't you try this? Um, yeah. you know, so it's not like if you just go to the store randomly, you'll say, here, buy this. But you say, yeah, you, know, you have or, this. Or like, yeah, like if someone's about to order Schweppes, he'll only say Schweppes, na, yes, Swami, hai, acha bikta hai, this, that, and he'll push it, right? Okay. So I do think a lot of those things make a difference. As much as we, I would want it to be there, it's only running performance marketing and getting stuff going. Uh, as that'll anyways happen, but I do think we, we're not in, I don't think we're in the segment where you can ignore uh, physical retail. No, but I, I like the point you were saying because at that point, because somebody you know is already in the market for uh, a tonic, um, yeah. you know, and, and you and, and I think your bottles kind of explain the story and, and do all of that in any case. So even if they're getting it for the first time and they're trying it, at least their experience is um, kind of fulfilled, right? Because they start to end. Once you get the bottle, you're gonna try it. You're gonna taste it. You can choose. It also comes down to sampling, right? Uh, it's much easier for someone to order one or two bottles from your local Kirana guy somewhere than order a pack of 12 or 24 uh, in the first go. So I don't think you can discount uh, physical retail at all. Uh, we are still, reality check, it's still India. Uh, and it's, it, there, is, there is a lot of play in that. I think, I think it's also about segmenting your user. And you know yeah. exactly where they are and where they shop. You can't do this for any random product. Any physical product and getting into stores and mass production requires a lot of cash. Um, yeah. and, and especially competing with the guys you're competing with today. How did, how did those discussions go down with your angel investors? And, and now I'm, I'm sure you're always fundraising because this is a market yeah. where you need to continuously yeah. keep money in the bank. Yeah. So I think so far, uh, 
And it's not like that it's an option for us, but we have to play the startup card, right? I have to tell the Nature's Basket that, dude, I can't, I don't have the budgets of a Coke, right, to advertise or do something with you. I think the journey for us has been that a lot of the bigger stores that we spoke to completely ignored us in the beginning, or they would like, Raul and I would go to Nature's Basket's office in Vikrodi, they would make us wait for two hours and then say, you know what, come later, we're busy now and stuff like that. Over the period of time, I think in both of these chains, at least, we're the market leader in aerated beverages after Coke. So I think now they talk to us in a much different light. And uh, because the product moves, they are also open to doing things at a lower cost than what they would have probably done it with a Coke or a bigger brand. So those things are those things have worked in our favor a little bit, but we are not looking at hoardings or stuff like that right now but we do know that this is a this is a game where you'll have to put in a lot of advertising money and in most fundraise rounds that we do usually half the money is towards advertising and marketing specific because these are this is patient capital right because you're looking at longer term plays uh, yeah. so we, we mostly have professional investors on our cap table so they're all good investors. They're all professional investors. And then we have a few people who are from the industry. So I think everyone understands that this is a, it's not a one or a two year game. It is a five, seven year game. But on the other hand, there are enough acquisition possibilities in the future, right? There are so many companies that may want to have this sort of portfolio uh, in uh, products in their portfolio. So. I think investors also see that, that there are enough acquisition options going forward. Oh, that's great. I, I, I see where you're coming from because obviously it's a, it's a tougher market to uh, you know, raise, but uh, I think very few people make uh, go after these segments also. So you have very few competition per se because there is a barrier to entry to a large extent. Uh, there is then, a barrier to entry, but on the other hand, we have a lot of brands who... so. We, in fact, uh, the place that we manufacture, we have an agreement that we lease the space out of them, but ultimately it's our equipment and our everything. Uh, they get they get two inquiries a month saying that, can you make tonic water for us? So I think a lot of people think tonic water is a very big market or a very big game and let's just create tonic water and people will line up to buy it, which is, of course, not as rosy as it seems. Uh, it's really not. So I do think there will be competition. There'll be a lot of homegrown brands that come up, but I think a lot of them, and not to sound obnoxious about this, but I don't think a lot of them will un will understand how complicated these things get. And I think again, this the Horeca side, the re the restaurant and bar side has worked really, really well for us, and that's also worked well because we knew that between Raul and I, we would have contacts with mostly everyone in the restaurant space. So we knew that people will at least do a tasting of our product, whether they keep it or not, will ultimately come down to the product. So I think because of the product doing well and the amount of effort we've put in training restaurants and bars and the kind of initiatives we've done with them, for a bar to remove us or to keep another brand, they will put some serious thought into it. It's not going to be a price uh, thing that, okay, if you're two rupees cheaper, I'll keep you. It's not that. And I think a lot of that comes with, it's, it's taken us work. It's not been easy, but we've put in that, that, that much work for it. When you're looking at expansion, are you going to look at India, 
first and what would be the penetration you probably want to hit? Uh, you mentioned you're going to Hong Kong and I mean, rather you've started at Hong Kong and obviously it's not a great time to gauge if it's a, it's a market <laughs> to do well. Um, how are you looking to an expansion? So a lot of these markets, we know volume wise will not be that much. Just look at the population, right? Versus India. But these are also showcase markets and it gives you some more validation. Uh, so, for example, Pernareka in Hong Kong uh, with Monkey 47, Bfita and Bundelit, they've been doing a lot of their promotions with us. So the fact that even a Bfita in Hong Kong is working with us, it just gives the brand a lot more credibility. Uh, the same thing happened with uh, Paul John and Amrut Whiskies. No one cared about these brands in India till they went abroad, won medals, and suddenly restaurants wanted them here as well. So a lot of these are also showcase markets where, you know, volumes may not be that crazy as what India would be, but the validation it gives you all around is really, really good to have. Like if you went to Singapore and the bar that you went to served Swami to you, you'll remember that as a customer and even within the trade, within the trade, everyone sees what everyone else is up to. So it's super important. And we do that. Like when we uh, went to Hong Kong, we did. We've even done guest shifts in Hong Kong by now. Uh, if there's a bar show happening abroad, we we make sure we are there. So there's a lot of emphasis on being seen also in the global space. And that also helps both short-term and long-term for the brand. What, how do you evaluate a market though? Is it, is it in population or, you know, what would, what would constitute it to something uh, as, a, as a showcase market? A uh, showcase market will not be about number of volumes. We know that volumes will be lesser, but what happens is that we are playing against Fever Tree and every other brand, right? And we're playing at the same price. In India, it still will have a price advantage over an imported brand, right? That I'm cheaper, so perhaps people will keep me for that. In a Hong Kong, we have zero advantage uh, of anything. We're, at, we're exactly at the same level, level playing field as any other brand. And in that, we would be the smallest company. Uh, Fever Tree, all of these guys would have way more money than us. Uh, Fever Tree is at some three, four billion dollar market cap right now. So to, to get acceptance there and for someone to pick us versus 10 other brands in these markets, I think that's just important for us. We know volume wise, there'll be they'll be smaller than a Bangalore or something for me, for sure. But it's good to be there because in the B2B circles, in the restaurant and bar industry, everyone sees what a lot of these bars are up to. And uh, it also gives you better content that you can push around and stuff like that. I also think from a future fundraise point of view, it helps, right? That uh, you do have validation abroad, so at least the product is solid yeah Nish, this has been fun uh, we've covered a lot of different ground from this discussion there are two takeaways takeaways for me uh, both good ideas came from alcohol and yeah 100 <laughs> percent. so Absolutely. so go grab your friend go have a drink uh, yeah. there's probably going to be a thousand other ideas that come to life uh, to do that yeah, plus uh, one more learning is that I think definitely think a lot more scale with somewhere at Hipcast we didn't. Uh, initial days we didn't. Then, of course, we played out a lot more scenarios. But I do think scale is super.
were important and we're lucky to be in a country where at least you have the population to do something at scale. Uh, if you were a business out of Hong Kong or Singapore or something, your scale would also be super limited. At least for us, we have that on our side. Uh, is the audience no. going to get uh, free uh, Swami for the lifetime? Yeah. You know, we, we, can, we can do a discount code though. Okay, let's do a discount code. I leave uh, Swami discount code wherever you find this podcast. Yeah. Hey, Anish, thanks again. Good luck with uh, you know whatever is about to come. Um, you know, see you soon for that beer. Cheers, man. Hey guys, that brings us to the end of the episode with Anish. Anish has graciously offered a 15% discount on orders or placed on swamidrinks.com. That's S-V-A-M-I-D-R-I-N-K-S.com. Um, the coupon code is STARS, S-T-A-R-S. The coupon should be active for about a month. So to the end of June, the coupon code should be active. So go, go on, try out Swami drinks if you haven't already tried it. The tonic water is fantastic and I know a lot of people who like the ginger ale. So those are my recommendations. So go check it out. Um, do follow the channel wherever you're listening to this podcast and uh, please, please do sign up the newsletter if you already haven't done so, so that you can receive the podcast delivered directly to your inbox. Also, do me a favor. If you're on Apple, uh, go and give us a five-star rating so that others can find us too. Okay, see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.